I'm Elizabeth Vincentilli. I write for the New York Times and the New Yorker. I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of the Washington Post. And I'm Terry Teachout, drama critic of the Wall Street Journal. Welcome to the 31st episode of Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America. We're hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group. This and other podcasts hosted by American Theater are all brought to you by Charcoal Blue. Since you last heard from us, the big event in theater has obviously been the recent announcement of this season's Tony Award nominations. And uh, as usual, they've started plenty of controversy uh, uh, because that's kind of the entire point. And, really. Indeed, and, and and as you might expect, it's also uh, uh, stirred up a little bit of disagreement in the studio. Yeah, yeah, but we keep disappointing people by not actually having fistfights on the air. Let's work on that. Okay. Anyway, we thought we'd start off by chatting amongst ourselves about what we thought of this year's nominations, which ones we agreed with, which ones dismayed us, and which ones have us at loggerheads. And after that, we're going to dip into the mailbag because amazingly it keeps getting replenished. Uh, <laughs> so there's listeners out there with lots of questions, which is great for us. There's nothing like response. You feel like you're I know. Not, this is not being done I'm in a vacuum. I'm completely energized. Yeah. We're not shouting into the caves of silence. Right, exactly. Yeah. No echo chamber here. And uh, we'll wrap up the podcast with our uh, around the horn survey of things we've seen that have made the deepest impressions on us both favorable and unfavorable. First, though, let's look at the Tony Awards. It is a truth universally acknowledged that <laughs> nobody but nobody is ever pleased with the Tony nominations and certain prominent and unexpected snubs and oversights, starting with the failures of Glenda Jackson and Nathan Lane to receive Best Actor nominations for their performances in King Lear and Gary, <gasps> have been very widely noted <laughs> in and out of the profession. Now, we're not in the business of second-guessing the electorate, but we do We have, aren't? Uh, no, no, you're damn what? right, we're not. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> but we do have some other equally strong opinions of our own that might be of interest to you. So, Elizabeth, allow me to mix a metaphor. <laughs> Perhaps you might start the ball rolling by beating one of your favorite dead horses. What? I gather you're in Are some you? distress over the triumphal procession <laughs> through Times Square of Hades Town. Unfortunately for me, that horse shows no signs, no sign of being dead. Uh, <laughs> Hades Town is doing. This is really tasteless. I'm. I'm really sorry. I apologize to horses and Hades Town. Um, but yeah, no Hades Town, which our loyal listeners know because we talked about it in a previous episode. No, I really do not like. Uh, got something like 14 nominations, which is. A lot. It it's was a, and it's a blues and jazz uh, adaptation of the story sure, of Orpheus you could, and Eurydice, you set could, in hell. You could call it blues and jazz, sure. All right. Call it what you want. New Orleans style. It is, yeah. It is what it is. And lots of people like it, but not That's Elizabeth. true. No, I am. Uh, I, I think it has a good shot of winning for Best Musical. I, I, I Well, really, 14 it, nominations would indicate so. Do you think it has the I best mean, shot? I, I, I don't know, because I think uh, Tootsie got very good... I tried to pronounce that correctly this time. You did a very nice um, job. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be between... And then there's this crazy theory that I just heard recently, and maybe it was from our producer, Kirby. I can't remember who said it, or maybe it was one of you, that the prom could sneak in because of a divided vote, and weirder things have happened. So I yes, think it's very open this year. They have. That's, and that's, I think it's a reflection of the fact that it was a disappointing season for musicals. Uh, yeah, I don't 
Do you think? Don't you no, think? Broadway, generally? No, Broadway I don't think so. Well, that's right. You like the ones that nobody likes. Oh, she likes that's head over heels. You hated the ones that everybody right. likes. I really like head over if, heels. If I may misrepresent, misrepresent yeah. your yeah. position slightly. <laughs> yeah. No, I was not the only ones to really like head over heels, which, by the way, completely belongs to my new hashtag category. It's not good, but it's kind of great. Hashtag, it's not good, but it's kind of great. Uh, although that, actually, that was the musical you know, based on the um, on the Gogos. On the the Go-Go's music. That sounds like but, an episode in and of itself. But you know, I went back. I went back to that show right before it closed, and actually, I changed my mind. It's actually good. Really? Which? Head over heels. Really? It's I a really it good show. Much. Yes, it's a really good show. It's incredibly smart, and and I really st- stick with it. And I really think it should have been nominated for best book. The book, which is kind of like the ideas by Jeff Woody, and then the actual book is. Some rewrites by James Magruder. Do you, do you think sometimes these musicals are just misdirected? That you know, in a um, in a different space or a different concept. I found that I found it so busy and so self congratulatory in the way it was presented that I oh, I, I just had a hard time liking it. It liked itself so much that I, mean, I couldn't like it as much. Beetlejuice is busy. I didn't think. Oh, he- I'm not Head a Beetlejuice fan was, either. I didn't think Head Over Heels was busy, and I thought it was really well directed. Actually, I really enjoyed it a lot. Well, I and think we all agree with you about Bonnie Milligan. Oh yes, uh, she should have been nominated in uh, supporting. In a musical, that is crazy to me. And as she much was, as I love Mary Testa, she played Testa, the uh, she played, sister, uh, Pr- Princess Pamela. Right. She plays the uh, object of the one who discovers it's, her sexuality. Yes, I think yes. so. Few Very people funny. saw it; they're going to have a hard time even knowing I, what you're talking about. I just think about. that jukebox musicals in general are kind of automatically dismissed as being artistically subpar, and I, I think it's a uh, a Russian judgment. And the weird thing to me is in, in the book category, and the book was one of the strongest parts of Head Over Heels, in the book category, Dominic Morisot was nominated for... Um, uh, for uh, Into Proud. Into Proud, right, the, the Temptation musical, and that book is uh, really poor, I thought. Very, just very banal. I mean, talk yes. about by the number... I'll be saying some brutal things about it later on. Right, and I'll but defend anyway, it. So I'm just comparing the, the Head yeah. Over Heels snub and then, yeah. but don't uh, you think also? Can I just ask you? Well, yeah. I, I I'm sorry to interject, but I'm not sorry. Uh, <laughs> don't you think also that anything that opens You're before sorry, January first? Yeah. I agree. Anything that opens before January first is basically discounted. I mean, aside yeah. from Elaine May, I mean, almost nothing gets a it's insane. nomination from the first sort of, half of the season. There to be some sort of handicap points for shows from the first <laughs> right. half of yeah. the season. Well, right. No, that's true, and uh, it's. I think it's very like lazy. The last two weeks. It's uh, very not... lazy on the part of the nominators. Right. I, I've got. I there's no it. other way to to do this. It's lazy. It's unfair. Um, yeah, I can think of three or four things that you know really got short shrift. It ain't right. It ain't yeah. right. <laughs> Right. Sorry, I interrupted. So that's uh, that's my. And there's something else that you it. want to speak out for, though. Forget not. Oh, that's another. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Um, Fish. Mr. Fish. Yes, I am very uh, happy to. See. I think Mr. Fish has a really good shot. That's at Daniel winning. Fish. We're talking about Daniel folks, Fish, the director yes. of Oklahoma. Uh, are some people are referring to as angry Oklahoma? I've, yeah. heard, I've heard sexy Oklahoma. Yeah, I've heard that one too. It's angry, it's sexy, it's everything. It's, it's woke. It's bleak it's, Oklahoma. No, I don't think it's woke. We I had know. A, are we going to do that again? Oklahoma. Bleak Oklahoma. Bleak. Bleak, bleak Oklahoma. Bleak Oklahoma. There you go. Dark Oklahoma. No. Dark Oklahoma. And it's, it's bleak. And it's, it's joyous. It's got everything. It's like it, it's like the thirty six like flavors seven of Tony nominations, didn't it? I, How many? I, seven, I think. It's great. Demon Dono plus Curly, uh, nominated for for lead. It's really exciting. 
Ali Stroker, please. And we should uh, just say for people who don't know, it's a it's a very yeah. deconstructed Oklahoma. It's done well, in a sense on a on, on a, the most unconventional uh, it, setting that any show has on Broadway this it's, season. It's uh, it's it's daring by Broadway standards, I would say. Although in a season where Gary made it to Broadway, I'm, you know, right. I don't know. I think it's those things mean little, which is great. I think that's a really good thing, by by the way. Well, but, Elizabeth, uh, you're you're preoccupied with musicals today and Peter you mentioned before today's show that you had been struck more generally by the best musical race well I one of the things I did want to focus on is something I wrote about which is I think that this is the most blatant uh, season for looking for the division of two philosophical broadways one being traditional Broadway and the other being what I would call upstart Broadway I was trying to think about you know rebel mm. Broadway I don't know what you would call it but if you look at three Sexy categories Broadway. if D you look at three categories Broadway. Disruptive Broadway. That's well, if it. you look at three categories, so you can say, for example, take the the uh, Tootsie versus Hades Town mm -hmm. race in Best Musical. If you take the Ferryman versus Gary in the Best Play race, and certainly the Kiss Me Kate versus Oklahoma That's race. So true. It's in musical revivals. It's You're looking on. at almost two struggling factions of, of artists figuring out what way we're going to go. Now, maybe we'll go both ways, and maybe there's a argument to be made that this is a broadening of the of the Broadway community. There is something in the air uh, and a feeling maybe that this is the younger generation in general, maybe not everybody being younger per se, but that there's a new sort of energy that's invading the space and I think overall that's a good thing, even mm -hmm. if I didn't like some of the things that I just mentioned. I think that's exciting. And, and I do what I mean, I I do think in a weird way the nominators and maybe even Broadway got ahead of their audience. It's gonna be interesting to see which of these shows survives, even with Tony nominations. Yeah. I will be interested to see if word of mouth accrues to a show like Gary or to a show well, like Hades Town. I'm not I just couldn't I thought they were both sort of mediocre, so I don't see the energy surrounding them. But anyway, that's one thing I was sort of struck by. Let's that we're going to find that it mirrors, we're, we're simultaneously seeing a huge generational rollover in regional theater artistic directors. Mm. And I, hmm. I, I feel... Sea change. I, yeah, I, I feel a sea change is happening right now. Yeah, and, and, and it is interesting that, you know, that producers, even traditional sort of conventional Broadway producers you would say like Scott Rudin he was the one that brought Gary he bought, bought both he brought both to Kill a Mockingbird and Gary to Broadway, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Well, Gary is interesting because Gary encapsulated that struggle because you have Telemac, the playwright is Telemac right with Nathan Lane Yes. It's like both right. These like things the are all absolutely are in one show. Sure. And, that doesn't and, work. And what's <laughs> interesting is that Gary essentially stole the slot that Mockingbird would have had for best play, I think the most shocking result for me in this, and I think maybe in many a year, was the lack of a best play nomination for To Kill a Mockingbird, which garnered very positive reviews from most critics and also is a runaway hit oh, yeah. of a huge magnitude. Uh, it's doing business like a musical on Broadway. And for those reasons... It's made, hasn't, hasn't, didn't it just make its nut back? Am I it's already, it's yeah. already made its money back, yeah. yeah. And it's going to run for years, depending on, I think, if they can um, muster the, uh, the kind of star power that a Jeff Daniels brings to the project. He's in for a year. And also, there is this sense, though, of... Uh, 
we, one wonders how hungry Broadway is for mega hits, or maybe it's there's a surface of mega hits on Broadway, and there's no need that feeling no need to reward them at the Tonys anymore. I mean, everything is doing real business if you look. Something yeah. is happening out there. Yeah. I don't get yeah. that for a minute. Yeah. The I, only other thing I wanted to mention was I am gratified that the Tony nominators reached back to October <laughs> and recognized Elaine May's extraordinary performance oh, yes. in the Waverly Gallery. Yeah. I am rooting for her, and she's the person I'm rooting for most that night because I think that is a truly extraordinary bit of acting and a pl- in a play by Kenny Lonergan who brings so much depth of character to Broadway. So it would be lovely to see her win for that. A great a great performance I, in a great revival of a great play. Yeah. And if that's not a shoe in then uh, oh, someone is working us. Mm. Are you I, surprised I, I by don't the way know. That I don't know because uh, you know what Heidi Shrek is in that category as well and that makes you know, it may not a shoe in. <laughs> She could do for a win. Constitution could win for best play. That's oh, the one that's going to win yeah. the best play. You think? you think? I would bet on that. That's I think so too. Uh, I, I think Ferryman probably has. You know, they just announced Ferryman's going on tour. And if you don't know uh, out there that what happens right after the Tony nominations is every show on Broadway announces it's considering or planning a tour because this is supposed to entice out of town voters from around the country who come in and see everything and vote. Uh, among the 800 people mm-hmm. who vote for the Tonys, it gives them an extra incentive to want to see these things in their own uh, their own venues, and nothing confers sort of the mm-hmm. the gold medal on a production, the gold plated sort of endorsement as a Tony Award for best play. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. Well, I'm of course with you on Elaine May. Uh, for my part, I very much approved of the decision not to give a best play nomination to Mockingbird. Aside from the fact that I didn't like the script, right. I'm dubious about honoring this kind of adaptation in that kind of way. Uh, build lest we forget as Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. Whatever that is, it's not the kind of play, and I have my scare quotes fingers in the air, uh, that ought to be regarded as a best play. So I think the right call was made here. Which brings me to my own first pick, which is also a negative one. I am just as glad for exactly the same reasons that Network got passed over for a best play nod. It is not a new play. It is an adaptation and a fairly faithful one of a movie. And uh, whatever it's... I'm sorry, but does that mean that Tootsie should not be considered for best new musical? It's a musical. It's a transformation. It's a radical transformation. Mm. It's also totally rewritten. Network is not rewritten. It's restaged. But it is essentially the movie played out again. With I see, all. I, I don't have an issue with that at all. It's interesting. Well, I just, but I mean, I also don't think it's any good. But well, besi- that I agree with. But, but besides <laughs> that, I just—that's not where I think the Tonys ought to be looking for best play nods. As for "Ain't Too Proud," <laughs> I was shocked by the quality of Dominic Morisot's book. It was. It, I thought it might possibly be the worst musical book by a writer of serious reputation, maybe, mm-hmm. that I've ever seen in the <laughs> Really? I need, need to go back to the files for that one. Whoa! But it was, it was so bad that it made me wonder, was it, was it actually written by committee? Did mm. stuff happen to it after well, her first draft? I, I think one of the issues is that it is largely based on the memoirs of one of them and not right. the most interesting one. On Otis, and he's really not the most interesting one, I think. 
Yeah. And so it's all seen from his perspective, and you never really get any good insights on Lady Kendricks. Or in, I mean, it's just like, wh who are they? We know nothing about them. It's all about artists. I, we know a lot of cliches about them. Thanks I, to well, that book. I completely disagree with the two of you. I thought it absolutely what was great about it was that it actually, for me, did define these people as characters. I understood the personalities and the and the interrelationships of of these people. Remember. She had to isolate, you know, the story. What are there twenty? What were there twenty-five temptations? Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, this is a huge. To boil that down to a to a to a that's a, an entertaining. That's going to be this podcast in five years. By the way, it'll be like three different people, <laughs> or like Kirby will be there, right. and then it'll Recast be like three yeah. like college graduates. I like, thought she did a really good job with what is. An impossible format, which is the showbiz story of the... I mean, a person visiting from another planet would think that most of American musical theater art had to do with retelling the stories of okay. Mo Motown oh and Nashville. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, hit makers. I, I mean, gonna, how many times do we... Can we? And it's the ups and downs. Oh, it looks like they're I, not going to succeed. Well, they won. I mean, it's... That, you know, we hear this over and over again. It's really... Let's, let's be real. This is only about sitting there and grooving to music. Yes, that, yes. And this, t and I, I thought that between Trujillo and McEnough, they found the entertaining energy that you needed to propel the story. And Morisot, I thought, supplied it. Um, Except when I, people talked text. on stage. I think I okay. I'm I'm, I'm going to say. I mean, it. I don't feel like you know passionate I'm, about this, but I do. Oh but, my God! But you're ready in the face. Crap. Yeah. But I, what do you sound like when you're passionate? But, you know, and this is the show where my seat fell apart. You know. Oh. Yeah. 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 So I. <laughs> They were so, so I had a you know I certainly according to p other people around me who were horrified they thought I should absolutely you know give them hell because my seat fell apart and actually the truth is who cared I mean it, they fixed my I seat and the uh, result was an, an, a second enjoyable night with that show which I had also seen at the Kennedy Center. I'm gonna say it, but I'm gonna say it, but I think the share show did a much better job at presenting a showbiz story than the Temptation show. Much better job. Like there that is a, a much better book. There was a thunderous silence from the other side of the table. A stand by the share show. Oh yeah, I, I the think, book is I a think lot instead smarter. of three shares, they should have had six shares. Oh God. Or any, maybe seven. Any numbers, really? I'm, I should have called as it long market as share. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. Okay. Well, you had other stuff I you wanted to talk about. I wish to speak on behalf of something that I liked, which did survive, not just yes, the first half right. of the season, first, I know what you're say. but it opened last summer. Right. The the death trap of new shows. It was the revival of Mark Crowley's The Boys in the Band, which I wasn't enthusiastic about. We talked about right. it for all sorts of reasons. Same. But there was an actor in it who I thought was just terrific and who cracked the code in a way that the other actors in the cast did not. That was Robin de Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he got a Best Featured Actor nomination. I would never have bet on that. I right. think it's just wonderful. Yes, I agree. And I, I was with most yep. most happy to see the show singled out in that way. Right. A show which, by the way, is now being taped for video. Am I correct? Oh, is that right? I didn't know yeah, that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's. I don't know if they're going to do like a live, like if they they're going to capture a live presentation or if they're going to redo it. I for, don't know I the no details. Idea. Well, I guess. But, I may, I may, uh, why do you need to do that? The movie's perfect, but we don't need to get into that. Well, you know. Anyway, hooray for Robin de Jesus. Uh, okay, well, that's, that's it for the Tonys for for now, because I'm sure as soon as the winners are announced, I'm going to have a, to have another. <laughs> and we'll be heart getting we'll be getting embolism. back to this subject in a future episode. Oh my God, yes. Uh, and you know what, dear listeners from all over America, you 
you're gonna you you are subject of the Tony uh, dominance too because it's it's a weird thing that completely has this kind of iron grip on the psyche of theater lovers all over here even though it's technically about New York theater it's it's really weird but it kind of spreads like a unstoppable virus all over our <laughs> <laughs> regional houses and we were actually talking about maybe getting someone from from a tour one day yeah. I, th I think and we will, That's we will. What so stay tuned for that all right okay uh, there's much more to come on the podcast but first a word from our sponsor and here's Kirby Pate what makes the perfect performance venue comfortable seats great views of the stage a line for the toilet that doesn't take you out to the sidewalk in truth every venue is unique from a college studio space to a Broadway house from a presentation space to an arena undertaking their design or renovation can be a challenge but at charcoal blue that's all they do Charcoal Blue are the leading theater, acoustic, and digital design consultancy that have designed, renovated, tweaked, and polished more than 200 performance and presentation spaces, both here and abroad over the past 15 years. From a six-person mobile podcasting studio to the new Performing Arts Center at the World Trade Center, their team of experienced musical and theater professionals innovate at any scale and any budget. With studios in New York, Chicago, the UK, and Australia, speak to them today about how they can help you realize your ambitions for your space. Visit them at charcoalblue.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at charcoalblue. And welcome back to everyone to Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America, and mostly in New York these days. But yeah, we'll, also fix, about we'll fix that. Yeah. But now, uh, from all over America, let's dig into the mailbag, <laughs> which contains some um, really intriguing questions. Yeah, this it's, week. A, it's a good batch. Uh, but first, okay, we're going to uh, pass a compliment and a question from Patrick Wilson, who uh, apparently. Much to my dismay, is, is not that Patrick Wilson. <laughs> I'm happy. It's I'm happy for any Patrick Wilson. Yes. Uh, okay, so the Patrick Wilson. We, we're gonna say it's the Patrick Wilson because mm -hmm. there's always a Patrick Wilson. Correct. <laughs> there's one who just wrote. Yeah. I just finished listening to the Laura Benanti interview, and I have to congratulate you all on what may be the finest interview I've ever listened to on any broadcast. Well done. Wow. As much as I love listening to all the other topics you discuss, I hope you'll continue to bring Broadway stars onto your show so we can get a glimpse behind the scenes. Having said this, my question would be, what Broadway star, current or past, but still living, would you most love to interview on Three on the Isle? Maybe if you put it out there, it will happen. Well, why don't I be perfectly obvious mm -hmm. and toss out a pipe dream for consideration? Mm -hmm. It so happens that I have never met or spoken to the living Broadway artist whom I admire the most. I know it's And that be. is Stephen Sondheim. I knew it. I, I knew can't it. imagine that Mr. Sondheim would deign to join us on Three on the Isle, but why not aim high? He'd be my number one pick for sure. Totally. I mean, I think I, that's great. I have actually spoken to him and interviewed him. Even on a stage, in fact, and he is as brilliant as you could possibly, and 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 forthcoming as you could possibly want. So that is a great choice. I think I would love to have in the room Angela Lansbury. Oh, I was going to mention Golly. her. Oh, oh, you bastard! We are shooting high, aren't we? Uh, Lansbury lives in New York, and she's also. I've also interviewed her. I'm just saying, and. <laughs> And she is a, uh, a compendium of both plays and musicals. I mean, she's done everything and is just, I can't imagine anyone who could tell more wonderful stories about a life in theater. She and really is beyond. a living time capsule, mm -hmm. isn't she? Yeah. What is she, like 90-something? Something, something awe-inspiring like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, and I'm, I'm going to complete the uh, trifecta of 90-year-olds <laughs> that we'd like to get on the get podcast. He's only 89, old. I think, Sondheim. Uh, I would love to get Hal Prince. Mm, I mean, oh, might as well, right? Okay, so that's, but uh, okay, like a few, actually one of my dreams we're going to get on our next podcast, and that was David Yazbek, so I'm very happy. He really would have been on my dream list, uh, mm. but he's going to be on uh, the next one, so Excellent. stay tuned for that. Um, and then there's kind of there's a lot of uh, uh, younger <laughs> actors or performers that I really would like to talk to. Uh, I would love to have Audra McDonald on actually, because she's done pretty much everything uh, and every style of musical theater you can think of, and I'm really intrigued by that. Mm. She's also a wonderful talker. I interviewed yes. her a number of years ago and I enjoyed have, the experience. I've never much. had the uh, I've never never talked to her or interviewed her, so I'm curious. And then I would love to, uh, for good measure, I would love to talk to probably my single favorite uh, non-musical uh, actress in New York, and that's Elizabeth Marvel. Who's currently playing Gunroll? Uh, Everybody, in King look Lear. at my mouth hanging open. I, boy, yes. yes, Elizabeth Marvel. Elizabeth Marvel. Are you my, listening, my Elizabeth Marvel? My favorite Blanche Dubois. Uh, my favorite Hedda, Hedda Gabler, uh, and my favorite uh, Regina Giddens from Little Foxes. So come talk to us, trifecta. Elizabeth Marvel. Please, the the call is out there. Uh, please, please, please. Okay. Our next question is from Sean McBride. I'm in town for my annual Broadway trip, and I've seen several revivals of classic musicals that are now considered problematic because they have racist or misogynistic elements to them. I know that you touched on this a few episodes back, but I'm curious as to your opinion on producing these types of shows going forward. Should they simply not be produced any longer? Should they be given revisions to their texts, or should they be presented as they were written with the knowledge that things were different when they were originally performed? I'm curious to hear your thoughts, especially because I work with a small theater in Texas, and this is becoming an issue for us. Young audiences seem to balk at the mention of some classic titles. For the record, I loved My Fair Lady and was lukewarm on Kiss Me Kate, and I don't really care for Angry Oklahoma. <laughs> Boy, is that interesting, that young audiences really are giving right. Sean McBride feedback about right. this, and it's negative. Right, right. I, look, I think they ought to be done as they were written. Mm -hmm. I feel that very strongly. I especially feel that in the case of Kiss Me Kate, which has now gone through three iterations of revision. Uh, if you go back to the original Kiss Me Kate, the book of which is reprinted in the Library of America's wonderful two-volume set of, of great musical comedy books, that's a show that is eminently producible and fixes some of the problems that crept into the second revision, which is the one that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. If you can't find a way to do these shows without altering their texts then just don't do them because you don't want to do them you don't love them you don't care about them that that's my hidebound reactionary point of view you know I, I, the musicals are a weird category because they treat they often treat these issues so blithely you know so uh, sort of off the cuff especially period musicals where smart aleck um, sort of references were often considered funny to almost any kind of uh, risque or, or, or especially gender-related uh, um, issues in a play. So I do understand the sensitivity, and I think there is some room to make some smart uh, alterations to scripts that really do rub on too many of the audience the wrong way. I don't have a great recipe for it. It's an I know it when I hear it kind of thing. Uh, exactly, yeah. 
and I think it can go overboard. I think there are times you can absolutely adulterate a show to the point where it's no longer what it was. The Gershwins, Porgy, and Bess. Uh, there was a there was a Boys from Syracuse of some years ago that had a new book that uh, that Roundabout did, and again, it was you felt it was so changed that it wasn't itself. And that awful pal Joey. And I still get mad. There are oh god, yeah. yeah. These Whoa. are sort of they're fragile things to begin with, and I think it's really case by case. We know it when we see it. I think that when we when we feel it's worked well for me, Kiss Me Kate worked this time. Uh, even I'm with going Amanda tonight, Green. so um, Amanda Green's. Uh, you haven't seen it yet. Fix, no, no. Fix oh, it. I look forward to hearing what you thought. Uh, about. Made sense to me, and I didn't find it. Uh, and I wonder also if some of the youthful uh, reaction to some of these shows is just about. A larger issue of ownership of what what they want to see on a stage and how tolerant well, audiences are for things from the past and how much they want to see. But that's novel a that, that's a common disdain for a lot of audiences now for anything that's you know from the olds. Right. Well, so there's uh, two revivals. It's, it's, it's also revival. a matter of their not knowing the shows in the first place. Right. When you look at True. what shows get done by high schools nowadays, the high schools with these big big budget mm -hmm. uh, musical comedy programs, you realize that, that this generation doesn't know the shows that to us are classics of the form. They haven't been exposed to them at all. They certainly haven't seen the film versions, not that they tend to be any good, but that is how people found out about mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. uh, we, could, we were talking about generational rollover a little earlier in the show. We could look up two or three years down the line and realize that most people don't know what Guys and Dolls is. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, it's Although, true. aren't they making a movie of that? Of the... Is that true? Yeah, I, I can't so. keep up I don't anymore. know, I'm, I'm losing track. I can't either. Anyway, uh, okay, so we're going to wrap this one up with a question from one of our Twitter followers. I need some advice. I'm buying my husband theater tickets for his birthday. Wearing your civilian hats, where's the best place in a run? Early, late, or in the middle with fingers crossed that the bugs are all knocked out, but nobody is on autopilot. My God, that's a good question. That's a good I, question. You know, I, I will say this. I, I actually do, at times, go back to shows at various times in their runs, and nobody, I think this autopilot idea is kind of baloney. I don't really ever see a major, or minor. I, I rarely see people on autopilot. Now, maybe actors will tell you that somebody in the cast is on autopilot, or maybe some of the chorus members get bored later in the run. I don't know. But I have found, for example, seeing Katrina Lank do Band's Visit mm -hmm. four times, something like that, at different points in the in the lifetime of that show, and never feeling anything was phoned in on, on any night. And I would say that for most times well, that I go back to shows. So I I would say, you know, go when you're go when it's good for you, not for when you think the show's well, gonna be at its best. Okay, I'm gonna have a bit of a caveat here because I think sometimes, especially later, the replacement casts are not necessarily as good as you would want them to be. And you they're maybe not uh, kind of half asleep on the job, but they're maybe not that good. Some so shows, I some say, shows yeah. maintain better than others. I, I would say Phantom maintains incredibly well. But Chicago, to me, which I've seen a few times, has really liked the quality has dropped in Chicago. And well, they are now in their like 365th, you know, cast. Well, three, Chicago is a special case because yeah. it's always thrived on sort of uh, shocking people with but, casting but, from no, other but, worlds but, but even not the, necessarily people even who have the chops. members the one who should provide the stability 
the last time I was there, which I mean, it was a few it years was, ago, it was, it was well, just not the course was not good. Okay, uh, I think that's so, a lot. I don't think though. Craig so clear, sounds like he's you know seeing no. shows from twenty years ago. I think he's talking. I would say for right. comedy. For comedy, it's good to go like a few months in because then I I saw Meteor Shower, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the really much maligned um, play by uh, Steve Martin, uh, way later than when the critics saw it. And by then, uh, because I was I can't remember it was some scheduling thing, but so I went late into the run and the cast was great. They were clearly having fun. They really they, it was just. I think for comedy, it really helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw Present Laughter both when it opened and then toward the end of its run. And it was wonderful when it opened, but by the end of the run, they were having fun. The good kind of fun, not the yeah. overacting fun, mm-hmm. but they were clearly all yeah. with it, all together, all had the rhythm. I think if if you're not talking about multi-year shows that have been going right. on for 5, 10, 15 years, I would say that actors are professionals and that they maintain the production and more you talk about it i should i should um um um, offer a caveat i mean i i went to mockingbird at the critics previews in the fall and i went back last week uh the day that nancy pelosi attended to write about her being there and they were they had gelled i mean there was a tightness a tautness that they had found the rhythms of the play in the language of sorkin in a way Mm -hmm. that they may not have had when the tony voters or when tony nominators that's a whole other question what we see at previews Mm -hmm. and what you would see even two weeks into the run yeah so so maybe there is some truth you know maybe you don't want to see it the first two weeks it's on Broadway in the preview, there might be actually a difference, you know, uh, a month in. But mm-hmm. but as to like three months or this idea that I think this idea that the autopilot idea, I just don't yeah. think that's. So in fact, a real uh, when I talked to Katrina Lank before uh, the Benzies did close, I, I did ask her that. I'm like, do you do you fear the autopilot? And she said no, because when you get into that zone of kind of cruising, that's when problems happen because mm-hmm. you're not focused on the task. Right. So the best way yeah. to avoid that. To avoid blanking on a line that you've said thousands of times, which happens to the you know the best of them, uh, you really have to say 100% in the game. So the and we're going to have a, we're going to invite on in a in, in short order a, 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 a well-known director who maybe can talk about who has had a long run on mm-hmm. Broadway yeah, recently, and we might be want to talk to that person about you know what right. their perception is of this and, oh, whether, yeah. and whether or not he comes back to brush the show up. Yeah, right. Excellent questions all, as always, and thanks to our correspondents. Please remember, if you'd like to ask us a question or comment on a recent episode, please email us. And remember, if you'd like to ask us a question or comment on a recent episode, please email us at threeontheisle at gmail.com and spell it out, please. Time now for our regular all-around-the-table discussion of some of the shows that have caught our attention in the past couple of weeks. Peter, would you start us off? Yes, and I'm going to talk about something that I hadn't actually intended to when I first thought about what I would speak about. And that's you be- sneaky I am. Dog, I'm very you. sneaky. Uh, it, it was a, a concert version of a, of a musical I saw at the Kennedy Center with, uh, last week, uh, Tommy, The Who's Tommy, which... I have to say, up until I saw this production, I had never liked. I didn't think it worked as a stage production. Boy, I liked never the thought music. it worked either. Yeah, it never really got me. I had always seen Tommy as this kind of uh, static character. It never felt wholly real. It felt like a device, and 
this time, uh, a young director, not so young, I don't know how old he is actually, director choreographer named Josh Rhodes brought a production, a beautiful production and uh, dynamic production with Christian Borley, uh, uh, I'm blanking on her, um, uh, Mandy Gonzalez and Casey Cott as Tommy with a wonderful, not, not, not Corey Cott, not Corey Cott, his brother, Casey Cott uh, as Tommy, <laughs> a wonderful, wonderful uh, evening that blew me away. It just blew me away. It was I, I, actually the best musical production I've seen this season. I've got to say, I was reading, I, I read your review of it, and I, it just, I, I, I really, I was you so jealous. Oh. I was so jealous. I it, was so jealous. I would have loved to see that. It was so well done. The dance, everything about it. I wish they would bring this to Broadway. Well, I heard that Pete Townsend, who wrote the music and lyrics, and Des McEnough, who directed the original Want to Bring a Production Back, perhaps, in some way, hmm. their own. But, but I think this is the one to do. It's but, ready. But I really, you know what? I think this circles back to what we were talking earlier about the problematic musicals. Like, there's no problematic shows. They're just bad directors. Mm. Like, any good mm. director can solve it's interesting. a problem show. I really strongly believe that. Yeah, like, deep down... I strongly believe that someday someone will solve chess. Mm. <laughs> oh my God, that is a pipe dream. We should I live so Iceman long. Coming with that thought. <laughs> no, actually, not that one. No, no sorry. No. Yeah, no. But <laughs> you should be up in, in Harry's in, in Harry's bar. <laughs> and uh, Elizabeth, oh, what did yes. you want okay, to talk so about? Okay, so I very much uh, like Ink, uh, which is a British import. Actually, it's a British import with uh, which has been slightly recast, from what I understand, from the London version. Uh, by James Graham, uh, who uh, TV viewers may know from the uh, made-for-TV movie Brexit with Benedict Cumberbatch. I believe he wrote that. Uh, and it's about, you know, it's weird because it's been presented as a play about the kind of rise to power of Rupert Murdoch, and it kind of is that, but it's also, it's mostly, Rupert Murdoch is actually more like a supporting, very important one, but more supporting mm -hmm. in this play. It's really about the way uh, an editor named uh, Larry Lamb after Murdoch bought the son the, at the time struggling son right it's about that I guess like it's a yeah it's a year actually it takes over a year where Larry Lamb turned around the son and pretty much created modern tabloids and it's horrifying and I say that as an alum of the New York Post <laughs> <laughs> this this is the moment when really the, the gates of hell opened I mean I, I they would have opened anyway at some point, but that is really that show really nailed it. It's incredibly funny, uh, and it's uh, it's very smart, and it's directed brilliantly by Rupert Gould, who I'm a very big big fan of, as you may know, because I cannot ever stop talking about how much I loved Enron and American Psycho. So oh oh, they're they're fading, fading. Well, perhaps Maybe. I should put my oar in on Ink. But anyway, I love Ink, which yep. is on Broadway and is produced by uh, Manhattan Theatre Club. Yeah. Well, of course, as I'm sure most people listening to this podcast know, Rupert Murdoch is my boss. And so I was quite interested to go and see that show. No, I did not hear from him before or after the review ran. And I was quite struck. I loved the play and the production and the performances. I was also quite struck by how fair I thought the portrayal of Murdoch was, which I did not expect from a British playwright. Murdoch is regarded as the Antichrist over there. But it, I realized watching the play that perhaps it's an intersectionality issue in which in England class trumps politics, but for whatever reason, I thought it was fair. 
But the show I want to mention is not Inc. It's the revival of All My Sons, which I thought was absolutely extraordinary. A very conventional revival, visually speaking, completely naturalistic. Uh, it was a triumph of casting and staging. Uh, that is a very solid cast from top to bottom and an extremely well-made play. Uh, it can be very preachy, but if you do All My Sons with, with the level of concentration and seriousness that was brought to it from the top down by Tracy Letts and uh, Annette Benning, you're going to get an experience that you will not soon forget, and I will not soon forget that All My Sons. It is not one of my favorite plays. Arthur Miller is not one of my favorite playwrights, but I will remember seeing that production as long as I remember anything. And that brings episode 31 to a close. So until next time, I am Terry Teachout. I'm Peter Marks. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. You've been listening to Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America, hosted by American Theater Magazine. And this episode was brought to you by Charcoal Blue. Our producer is the exciting Kirby Pate. The exciting Kirby Pate? Come on, try again. <laughs> the luscious stumped. Kirby Pate. There Pate. you go. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Three on the Isle. You can like us on Facebook at Three on the Isle. And write to us at Three on the Isle We're at really gmail.com. Uh, exactly. No branding. It's so easy to do. As long as you remember to spell out three. And please check in with questions and comments. As you see, we answer them. We love to talk about what you think on the air. Yeah, and we love when you write us good reviews on iTunes or Google Play and uh, when you nominate us for it, Tony, for Best Theater Podcast. I know, it's we should coming, get a special Tony. Coming in 2020. <laughs> yeah, really. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on The Isle.